0: We live and work in a world of acronyms. Some companies focus on the B2C, but for others, it's B2B. What's the BR on the website analytics? Do we have good CPCs? Good CTRs? Did we focus on the SEO? Let's do a SWOT analysis before responding to the RFP and remember to build in KPIs using SMART objectives. Remind them we're a specialty SaaS firm, which is actually a verbal short form of an acronym, with 10 FTEs and 5 PTEs. Put the right SME in front of it and build CTAs into their messaging. If I missed your favorite one, just DM me on X. But when did ESG take over from CSR? The acronym ESG, Environmental Social and Corporate Governance, was pretty obscure only about 10 years ago, but today it's critically important and one of the most common buzz phrases. Why? because we as consumers and as people are choosing from whom we buy and in whom we invest by more than dollars and cents. ESG encompasses a wide variety of activities from reducing energy consumption and improving waste management to supporting local communities and making it easier for employees to access healthy meals. Does the company ensure it uses accurate and transparent accounting methods? We want our faceless corporations to be more human. The rise of ESG is creating positive outlook strategies in the Asia-Pacific region, as budgets may well rise, but underlying world tensions make the economic outlook uncertain. So today, on Stories and Strategies, it's POS for ESG, but concerns of an SOS on GDPs. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Arun Sudaman, joining today from Bengaluru or Bangalore, This is probably more commonly known in southern India.
1: Hello, Arun. Hi, Doug. Pleasure to be here and very well done on pronouncing Bengaluru. I didn't roll the R. Uh, How are things in Bengaluru today? Uh, They're fine, actually. It is uh, a nice and cool morning, but it's going to get quite hot later today. Uh, And that's, I guess, something we're all dealing with around the world it's uh, just yeah <laughs> elevated temperatures it seems and hot for you in the
0: winter is mid 30s celsius or eighties um, it's
1: fahrenheit no early 30 so about 30 31 um okay. but that's unseasonable you know it's it's actually unusual for bangalore to to get past 30 at this time of the year right um so i think it's it's just another sign of of the way that climate is changing
0: yeah and we're and I'm in Canada's Rocky Mountains and um mm. we haven't really had a winter yet couple of yeah that weeks yeah. here and there but um anyway that that's worrying. That's weather. Let's hope that uh, it's not a sign of bigger things, but it could well be. Mm. Arun, um, you're the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Provoke Media, which is the world's foremost media and events platform for the public relations and communications industries. You're responsible for all aspects of content and brand development at Provoke Media, including the Provoke Media podcast the Global PR Agency Ranking, the Influence 100, the Creativity in PR Study, and the Global PR Summit. You are the youngest ever inductee into the Eco Hall of Fame, ICCO, for those who are used to seeing it by email, and you are a PRCA fellow. It is great to have you on the podcast, probably long overdue.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. That's, um, yeah, that's a lot of things that you mentioned there are really just the result, I think, of... Uh, just being in this industry for a long time and reporting on various things, and just having a great team here at Provoke Media. That's awesome.
0: Now, Arun, given the report we're talking about uh, highlights that ESG is a critical driver for in house communications professionals in Asia Pacific, mm-hmm. what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that you've observed in integrating ESG effectively into comms strategies? In that Asia Pacific region,
1: yeah, it's a it's a very good question. You're so you're referring to the twenty twenty three Communications Index, which which is a survey we did with um, an organization called APACD, Asia Pacific Association of Communications Directors, um, and an agency Rudafin, and we surveyed uh, over a hundred in house comms leaders, uh, and we found that ESG had um, had emerged as Uh, extremely important or very important to people's roles as comms leaders. Uh, I think it was cited by more than two-thirds of respondents. Um, And when it came to the business priorities underpinning their sentiment, ESG emerged as one of the top factors. And it was the first time we'd really seen this in this study. And I think in terms of opportunities and challenges, it's important to note that unlike perhaps um, the Western world, ESG is still really in its early stages in many Asian markets, and particularly from a regulatory perspective. Um, a lot of the uh, directives and laws and regulations and even guidelines are only just being introduced and coming into force in many Asian markets, including China, Singapore, India. Uh, interestingly, Japan is, is often viewed as being ahead of the curve. Um, companies are much older there. And um, they've always had quite a strong social component. They haven't necessarily been seen as great in terms of governance. Um, but because of some of the governance scandals that the ESG regulations and criteria uh, have been taken more seriously for a little bit longer. But overall, I think, um, the biggest challenge is just that it's in its early, early stages. So, um, you know, compliance is something that organizations are only just waking up to, I think, in this part of the world. Um, I think there are still concerns um, around things like greenwashing, mm. um, because there hasn't necessarily been that rigor and that scrutiny in terms of some of the claims that companies and organizations make. Um, and I think overall, there's perhaps, um, you know, something of a skills deficit Uh, just in terms of being able to find people who are able to balance um, an understanding of ESG criteria with business strategy and, of course, with with kind of the need to uh, communicate authentically. Um, And those are some of the challenges, I guess, in terms of the opportunity. I mean, I think the opportunity here is probably the same as it is anywhere in the world, um, which is that if organizations do take... ESG seriously, then I think it demonstrates that they are um, committed to their role in society, that that they understand that, you know, being a, being a successful company is about more than just returning profit to shareholders. Um, it's about, you know, having that license to operate um, and even that license to lead um, on a kind of broader societal level. Is it generally understood that the communications team needs to at least be a major
0: part of this in in the region um and if so what do the comms teams need to do to demonstrate that they are a valuable part of pursuing esg goals
1: yeah it's a, another really good question i think um it it can be something of a double edged sword because i think sometimes the comms team have in in this region i think sometimes comms teams have maybe raced ahead a little bit when it comes to trying to to showcase a company's ESG or sustainability credentials, and that points to what they need to do, what they need to understand, I think always is that ESG is about action and impact, um, and not just words, uh, and not just a report, and not just a mission statement. Um, and I think sometimes bridging that gap is a challenge. Uh, we've seen um, companies, you know, face challenges when. They make claims um, or they have you know flowery marketing rhetoric about their uh, sustainability credentials and their accomplishments, and these aren't always borne out by the evidence and by the actions on the ground. And so I think for communicators, it's really important to remember that th- their roles are, are about action and impact. And that is always, I think, a challenge for communicators, not just when it comes to ESG, um, but it's become very glaring in that space. That just naturally leads to the next question about measurement. Mm.
0: Maybe therein lies the opportunity that because we have not universally proven ourselves capable of measurement in each plan, uh, that there is an opportunity to somehow do so. How can comms teams prove the measurement on this? You got to set the benchmark and then show how your efforts led
1: um, to a progression here. How do we do that? I wish I had an easy answer for you. Um, I think if I did, I'd be a a very rich person. Um, I think it's, you know, measurement has always been pretty complex in the public relations world because there's so many aspects to it. um, And there's so many different types of things you're trying to measure, you know. Um, Yes, perhaps you're trying to measure the success uh, of your ESG efforts, but you may be talking about various different stakeholder groups. You may be looking at the impact on a company's reputation. You may be looking at top line. You may be looking at bottom line. You may be looking at how it has protected a company in terms of reputational risk. Um, So all of those things, I think, are valid metrics in terms of how you might measure. Um, There is no, I think, silver bullet. Um, There are various different ways I think you can measure all of these things. But I think the most important thing is to understand that any kind of um, realistic, credible measurement has to begin and end again with with action and impact and, and concrete outcomes, rather than um, what I would call outputs, uh, process-oriented metrics, you know, things like likes or impressions or shares. Um, these are not metrics that will tell you, or these are not things that will measure how successful you're your ESG activities are and unfortunately we still see too much of that I mean we run the Sabre Awards um, and we see a lot of campaigns entered and and many um, have ESG um, as a a kind of a core component uh, in their thinking and yet when it comes to the measurement they're being measured on vanity metrics as opposed to okay what was the impact on on the societies for example in which you operate you know the objectives of your campaign have absolutely nothing to do with the metrics that are being presented. Um, And that's really difficult. I think, you know, I I would not say that's always easy. Um, But I think it's really important that communicators get this right. Because again, the risk is that um, if measurement is being viewed in these shallow terms, it can encourage this kind of climate of greenwashing.
0: So I, what I'm taking from that is you're seeing simplistic metrics, like we landed this many stories in the traditional media and
1: placed our Mm -hmm. key message. Look, here is our key message within it. Yeah. Lots of people visited our sustainability website, um, and they stayed for 30 seconds. Hey, great! Yeah, they stayed. <laughs> then they left. Um, uh, you know, but what was the actual outcomes? How did you change behavior? Um, behavioral change is the ultimate, I think, metric for public relations campaigns. I don't think there is always one way to measure behavioral change. But what is the action that you wanted people to take? That you wanted stakeholders to take? You know, is it to behave in a certain way? Is it to to buy a, a, a product? um is it to uh you know view a company differently uh is it to get regulators to understand a particular point of view about specific legislation um and that requires a level of honesty as well i think in terms of what a campaign is trying to achieve so the report also mentions that diversity
0: equity and inclusion is important mm. Less than a third, though, of those who provided feedback report effective DEI policies mm-hmm. within their teams. So so what are the barriers mm. that are preventing the implementation of these policies, and what steps can we take to overcome those barriers?
1: Yeah, this is a big and complex question in this part of the world, because um, there are a few different strands to it. I think the first of them is that Many of the respondents to this study will come from multinational corporations um, where DEI policies are often set at HQ. And HQ is often in the US. And what we know um, and what everyone in Asia knows is that DEI in Asia is very different to DEI in North America, for example. Um, And a DEI policy that's built for the us or even for canada for example um may not necessarily translate as well to asian markets where you know you're talking about different demographic groups often Um, you know for example if i'm in the uk we talk about uh, we talk about black and minority ethnic groups Um, we talk about people of color in asian markets you know, it, the, the the groups and the, the minorities we're talking about can be very different. You know, in India, for example, maybe it's about caste, maybe it's about education, uh, maybe it's about colorism, right? So it's about understanding that and localizing these policies. And I don't think enough multinationals are doing that. And I think that's reflected in the, in the responses. The other thing that I think we also have to be honest about is that I'm not convinced that DEI has been taken as seriously in Asia Um, as it should be Mm. Um, and that's a bit of a generalization but I've had many many conversations um, with people um, in comms departments uh, and even DEI heads um, in companies in Asia over the last few years Um, and there has there has been a something of a mentality of well DEI is just a US thing you know why does that impact me I'm in a market where where everyone is Asian (laughs) And, and you kind of think that's not really the, the um Wow. Yeah, that that's not how DEI works, obviously. It's it's you know, it's about ensuring everyone um has an has an equal equal opportunity um and an equal franchise and, and every single country in Asia, I can guarantee and promise you, um has disenfranchised groups um that 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 you know are not included in the mainstream business world or mainstream society. Um, And, you know, every country in Asia requires rigorous DEI policies. So I still think that there are are remnants of that kind of thinking. Um, I think it is changing, especially um, in terms of the younger generation uh, in Asia Pacific. And I hope it continues to change. But I think we have to be honest that that's a factor as well.
0: How is the younger generation different in that Asia Pacific region? More... I mean, I when I think of Gen Z or Alpha, uh, I think of more interconnected and probably much more globally savvy than I was when I was that age.
1: Yeah, I think it's broadly the same in this region, actually. I, I, I think people are, are very savvy. Um, they have seen a lot. They understand a lot. I think they're far more aware of... DEI challenges. Actually, um, they understand that uh, you know that there are there are lots of groups in different Asian countries that are not seen, that are not recognized, that don't have equal rights, um, and I think they're much more willing to kind of speak up about those kinds of things, um, and I'm glad. I'm glad because it's not something my generation necessarily uh, was able to do. And one more
0: piece that stuck out to me from the report was that with a significant portion of respondents indicating their communications functions are not effectively structured to meet the future challenges that their businesses are going to face, what recommendations do you have for restructuring or evolving those teams to better align with where the future is going to be for business?
1: start over. I think many comms functions were built around this, you know, the the notion of um, comms is is just media relations. (laughs) Um, And of of course, it's a significant part of comms still, but I don't think it should be the starting point, really. I think, um, you know, any successful modern comms function has to realize that media relations is, is kind of one channel, one aspect of broader stakeholder engagement. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I don't see why comms functions don't start over, particularly when you consider the impact of technology, and we're seeing the rise, of course, of generative AI and how that is going to reshape how comms functions work. And the other thing is, many comms functions in this region are really small, Um, so you know there there are fewer barriers to starting over. Of course, I think their size, their relative size, is one of the reasons why people say they aren't structured effectively, um, because it's very difficult to structure a two or three person regional comms team to you know effectively meet all the challenges and demands of communicating in the 21st century hmm. really interesting and I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to go over this i uh, mm. appreciate your time arun today no i appreciate yours doug thanks so much these were um, great questions if you'd like to send a message to my guest arun sudaman we've got his contact information in the
0: show notes Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. We've got a new website specific to this podcast. The link is in the show notes or to make it easy, just Google Stories and Strategies. We'll come up at the top and click the podcast tab top right. It's a bounty of good stuff about the podcast and we would love it if you followed us there. Lastly, as always, do us a favor. If you like this episode, forward it to one friend. Thanks for listening.